trying to make sure that people don't have to reach the point that I reached and go through what I went through. You know, there is a better path. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. If you've just joined us, then you need to go back to the previous episode and start from the very beginning of Tim Etherington Judge's journey. Before he established Healthy Hospo, the foundation that provides information, advice, and support on mental and physical health for all hospitality professionals, he had been all over the world as a bartender and brand ambassador. Now, in this episode, we find him on his way to Africa via London. So I took the job, uh, moved back to London, um, and yeah, started work as the the first ever um, Diageo ambassador Another for first. Africa. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, now, when we're talking Africa, do you mean all of Africa? All of sub-Saharan Africa. So not like Morocco or Egypt. Again, or, it's not just one country. Africa is definitely not yeah. one country. Um, <laughs> it is an enormous continent. Uh-huh. You could fit America, Europe, yeah. China, and India into Africa and still have space. Uh-huh. I mean, it's huge. So how many countries were you dealing with there? Um, so I visited during my, my time uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria, Botswana, South Africa, Kenya, Uganda... Ethiopia, Tanzania, and yeah, then also and, the... And how many in your team? Uh, so I was the only ambassador. Then mm-hmm. uh, we had uh, my boss, Stella, her boss, Jane. Uh, we had a lady called Sarah. Uh, I so know, joining probably... you, like you would go alone. I would go alone, places. yeah. But there was a team, so yeah. in the Africa Spirits team, so I, there was a few of us on reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were other people who would work with like Bailey's or Johnny right. Walker and those things. But um, it was a super tight team, like super duper. The best team I've ever worked with in the corporate world. We would hang out together, do things together. I remember one year we had a, an Africa Spirits conference. Um, and the big boss had calculated that it was cheaper for us to do it in South Africa than to do it in Slough or wherever they normally do them. So we flew down to South Africa and we did it on a safari lodge um, just north of Johannesburg. So you'd be kind of sitting in this room, someone would be talking and they'd have their PowerPoint on and the flipboards and talking important you know, commercial corporate stuff. And then just have to, I'd have to raise my hand and go, excuse me, can we just, can we just pause for a second? There appeared to be two lion cubs just rubbing themselves against the back of my legs. Could you just stop? It's <laughs> two lion cubs, <laughs> um, and that that we did a like four day, five days. Um, it was just insane. Now you get up in the morning, and there'd be like a giraffe outside of your tent, and then before we did 
before breakfast, you'd go on safari and hang out with like cheetahs or rhinos. And, and then we got back to London and everybody got sick. <laughs> Everyone got tick bite fever. Oh, yeah, 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 from cheetah. I think so, from the cheetahs. So it wasn't it wasn't so cheap to do nah. it down there. <laughs> it was an amazing trip. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so that job was traveling all over Africa. Um, so compared with the Indian cohorts, the Indian bartenders, mm-hmm. how did you find? I'll use this as a big African, even though every country I'm sure is different. Is um, the African bartenders of the same, you know, level? Oh, they're much worse. Much oh. India is far ahead of, of most of what I found in Africa. South Africa excluded. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, South Africa, the, the level is is very high now. And there's some amazing bars in, in Johannesburg and mm-hmm. Cape Town now. Um, but, you know, we're going to places like Nigeria. Um, it's all, I guess, hotel bars? Lots of hotel bars. Yeah. Like Ghana was the big surprise. Uh-huh. So Ghana is, if you're going to go into Africa, Ghana is the, the kind of, it's a great first step. Um because it's super safe. It's one of the few countries mm. where I felt very comfortable kind of getting a taxi from the airport. Um, you definitely wouldn't do that. Like Nigeria is the complete opposite of that. Mm. Um, but I remember my first time to Ghana and I kind of landed and we stayed in the hotel and we had a big conference there and they were like, right, we're going to take you to the best restaurant in in Ghana, in Accra. And you're kind of like, going, oh, okay, best restaurant in Accra. This isn't going to be great, is it? And yeah, I was expecting kind of like mm. um, some typical African food and plastic tables and chairs, and probably very unfairly and, st- yes. and, and stereotyping and stuff. And so they took us to this place, and it was a Japanese restaurant, and it was some of the best Japanese food I've ever had in my life, and great cocktails. And you kind of have like one of those moments where you're just like what the fuck like how am i what is this um, but it turned out they these guys have come over they're partners with the gorgeous group who had done the Quite consultancy yeah. um, and and built this restaurant in the middle of accra and it was just staggering and the chef apparently used to was one of the chefs for the emperor of japan or something. it was just it was one of those moments where you could have just not over with a feather uh-huh. <laughs> Um, now, did you was Diageo also including some of these African countries in their world class? Um, yeah, so I had to other than South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I, one of my jobs was to kind of try and launch world class in Africa, um, but we ended up just doing it in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they have uh, world class in Kenya. They're trying to do it in Nigeria and also South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also did it in the Indian Ocean. So. I'd, would go to uh, Mauritius, Seychelles, and Reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had world class there as well. Um, but lots of the other countries are just not at the standard, and we didn't want to just send people so they could be routinely humiliated. Right. You know, if you're going to go, you should go and, and really represent well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just such an adventure. Like every trip was an adventure, particularly going to Nigeria. Um, you kind of get off the plane in Nigeria. I remember my first trip. It was just hilarious. So you have to do the security training in London before they let you go to Nigeria. And it basically consists of two hours of an ex-SAS, Special Forces guy, telling you scare, scare stories about Nigeria or about times when people have been kidnapped. Um, so you're like, okay, and now I have to go to Nigeria on my own. A white guy going to Africa, I'm scared. Um, so that and they give you like long, you get this long email of instructions. So they're like, right, 
you're going to have someone meet you at the airport. This is his name. Here's his photo. Whatever you do, make sure, you know, don't talk to anyone else. Make sure you find this guy because they they tell you stories about the kind of the kidnapping techniques. Right. So what they'll do is like guys will turn up. They'll look at all the name boards in the airport. Okay, okay so there's judge on that name board. So I'll write judge on my name board, and I'll make sure that he sees that me board, first, and yeah. then we, you know, that way. So you can't, I'm being super careful. So get off the plane. And there's a queue for like Nigerians and a queue for for foreigners. So you get in the queue for foreigners and they snap your passport. And I'm being so cautious because you know, I'm fresh out of this training and I had all these scare stories. And I'm like, right, I've got his number. Called the number, no answer. I'm looking for his photo, and there's just this guy, like shuffling around in the arrivals hall. Kind of looks a bit like Snoop Dogg's grandfather. He's got like, his hat on, like dressed all in like this pimp brown suit. <laughs> Like sandals on, and he's just going Guinness, Guinness. And it's the biggest Guinness drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guinness. I'm like, maybe that's their, maybe that's their technique to, you know, because the Asian people come here all the time because you know, the Guinness factories. Maybe they're just, you know, they just shout Guinness and someone will turn up and then. Right. He, so I'm like, so for like half an hour, I'm just like standing around, minding my like, I can't see anyone that looks like this. Why oh, this guy is going Guinness? <laughs> So eventually, eventually, half an hour, I went up to him and I said, are you this person? He's like, yes, I've been waiting for you for like half an hour. Have you not heard me? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. sorry." (laughs) So it turns out to be him. Um, So then he, you know, and you've got your... You've got to change the picture that Yeah, has for you. This is not you. And why didn't you answer your phone? Right, screaming Guinness, it's the guy. Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't all the security training? Um, yeah. So then he hands you he you give him like your your um, yellow fever card that you need and your passport. So he hands it and they do some things, and then he yeah, hands you over to these other people when you get airside. Oh, sorry, landside. So he, like two children, they were like so young, and uh-huh. they sign you off. And then there's like two security guards, like Nigerian security guards. Like, each AK-47. one's like six foot seven with AK forty sevens or M sixteen. Like and you're like. Hi, oh my lord, you're big. Um, and then they take you down to the the four by four. You get in the four by four and drive off into Lagos. Uh-huh. And then there, the security behind you, with um, so in front this of you, would make you seem like people outside would go, okay, we know there's someone really important. Yeah, because there's you know blue and red sky, flashing lights going kind of off. Just you come <laughs> in, you get in, whatever. You find your guy, you go. You know what I mean? This is like alerting yeah. people to the fact. Oh, no, important. they love it. Because the blue and red flashing lights are going off. So you yeah. go through all the traffic because the oh. cars just pull over. <laughs> um, and then they it. follow you everywhere. Every time you leave the hotel, uh-huh. you can't, well, you can't leave the hotel without your security mm-hmm. thing. So you've got this like, guys with guns either side of you. They were more dangerous, I think, than... Like, we went to a nightclub once and one of the... We're walking along up towards this nightclub and all of a sudden, bang! And everyone starts running for cover. And the guy's just like fired his gun into the ground. So yeah, that's a bit crazy. Um, so yeah, Nigeria was, was pretty intense. Um, had some adventures in Kenya. It's probably the most dangerous country I've ever visited. Mm-hmm. Um, got robbed at gunpoint in Kenya of everything I own. Um, was there when a number of, of bombs went off. Mm-hmm. One near my hotel, one near the office. So that was um, great. Um, so yeah, I did uh, a year year and a bit traveling around Africa as their ambassador um, and then there's a big restructure at Diageo 
and so they were like, oh, okay, so like, we need to restructure the whole thing and, and everything. So, um, so how were you feeling at that point? I was loving that, the Africa yeah. team, you know, it's such you a strong a team. Okay. Yeah. I think when you travel a lot like that, uh-huh. and, and especially when you're away from home quite a lot, you need a really strong team, um, as I found out a little bit later. Um, and also, quite often you would either travel together or you'd, you'd be at the airport lounge and you'd bump into someone from your team yeah. or someone from Diageo who was traveling. Um, and then with the restructure, they said that this whole Africa thing is we're cutting the Africa, you know, we're downscaling, but we want you to become the global bullet ambassador. So we're going to create the first global bullet ambassador role, um, apart from Tom Bullet, of course, but he's um, he's been there from the start. Mm-hmm. His name is on the product. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so we want you to take that job. Well, they, actually, they gave me a choice. They said, you want to be Don Julio or Bullet? And I was like, definitely Bullet. So what really is, would be the difference between someone who's a brand ambassador for, say, Sub-Sahara mm-hmm. to global? So as a change from from the Africa job was the full reserve portfolio. So it was like Kettle One, Ciroc, Tanqueray, mm-hmm. Bullet, Sakapa. And then the global was one brand. So any global brand ambassador is just the one brand? Usually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was focused on Bullet. And then when I say global, it was kind of everywhere except the US. In the US, the, the Azure is its own kind of separate entity. Um, so I looked after all the other all the other markets. Um, How did you feel about bourbon before that? I was a big bourbon fan. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I used to drink drink a lot. Rum was probably my favorite spirit at the time, but um, I was a big, yeah, big bourbon fan, and I really like Bullet as a brand. Um, so yeah, I was got to got to do that. And the opportunity, the reason I I jumped at Bullet was the opportunity to go and, and work with with Tom. You know, it's, it's quite a rare thing where you find such a big brand where the guy who founded it and it's the name on the bottle is still involved on a day to day basis. You can find that with small brands, but to find a brand that's so big and so global where that guy is still so fundamentally involved is, is very rare indeed. Um, had you met him before? No, I never had. Um, my first experience of meeting him was, was typically Tom and typically hilarious. So I'd flown, I flew to Kentucky um, with some bartenders from the UK on a brand trip. Um, and you kind of land at the hotel, and the first the first ex- meeting of Tom is you have breakfast with him. But you have breakfast with him on like a paddle steamer that goes up and down the Kentucky River. <laughs> you get the old South yeah. experience. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> so we go down there, and he's like waiting. And then I'm like, hi, Tom, I'm Tim. And he's like, hi, Tim, I'm Tom. Um, and he's such a charming Southern gentleman. He's, he's just magic. Um, and we get chatting on the boat. And we're talking, and he's asking me all these questions, and he finds out that I'm quite passionate about cars, and he's a big car guy as well. And we're chatting away about the cars and this and that and the other, and then he just starts fiddling in his pockets, and he pulls something out of his pockets, and he's like, Tim, what's this in my hand? And I'm like, well, Tom, it appears to be the keys to your Porsche. (laughs) And then he just like takes my hand and just puts his car keys in my hand, and he's like just going to drive me around for the rest of the day, aren't you, Tim? <laughs> so then I become his chauffeur for the day because um, everyone else gets on the bus and, and they we all go around together, but he's in his Porsche and, and they're all traveling around my bus. So I kind of 
I think he begins to regret his decision when I get to his Porsche and I go to open the door with the passenger side. <laughs> obviously, the, the right, steering wheel's on, the, on different side. And he just kind of looks and goes like, you know, the steering wheel's on this side. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, and then when we pull out as well, then it's on the different side of the road. And he's just like, maybe we're going to die. <laughs> Uh, he still let you do it though yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's quite dramatic in that so it was a lot of fun and so I got to drive him around all day in his Porsche 911 um, and so that was the, my first kind of experience with Tom and, and realising that he's such a gentleman um, coming from a different time you know he's very conservative southern guy but super funny um, and everyone falls in love with him mm-hmm. um, and it was a real pleasure to kind of go and, and work with him on a regular basis to build that brand around the world um, yeah, we had lots of fun together, and it was still it was kind of quite a punk brand, and it in a in a corp, big corporate like Diageo to have a brand that was was like that. We, we did what we wanted to do, and we didn't have any money, so we just kind of we were quite punk, and we made stuff up, and, yeah, and we had creative. to, yeah, we had to, you know, we had to hustle. Um, but the brand outgrew and outperformed anything else mm-hmm. at Diageo. You know, the growth was was phenomenal. Um, and so eventually people started like well how do we you know just be more like bullet and we're like well don't be like be us creative. yeah can we have some of your money and then we can do more stuff <laughs> um but it was a lot of fun you know a lot of fun and then did that was doing that and enjoying it for the most part but the, the you know the travel got more and more and more and um, where were you traveling to all over the world um, so this is global yeah lots of markets mm-hmm. lots of European markets went to Asia on a few trips and when you mm. say travel is it that you come back to London and rest for a little while or is it just you're going literally from one you're going from Japan to China to you know Nigeria to here to there I it, mean is yeah. it it depends on, on, on the, the trip sometimes you'll just go to a country and then come back it's like let's go to Brazil come back um, sometimes you do like a tour. Uh, sometimes that tour will just be of a, a region. I might do the Baltics, maybe Russia, because mm-hmm. they're all close to each other. Sometimes, like the, the beginning of 2016, so when my travel was got just got crazy. Um, so I did eight weeks on the road, but it was like go to the US, do some stuff in the US, fly to Asia, do six countries in Asia, so like Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, Philippines, India, somewhere else I went. Um, you go back to the US, then to Europe, and back to the US. And it was just like ping-ponging across the world. Um, and then you've got the the problems of jet, you know, semi-permanent jet lag, um, terrible sleep patterns because you're constantly jet lag. You're always in a different bed every night. I think my record was I stayed in three hotel rooms in the same day. How is that possible? <laughs> I still don't remember. I still don't know. Um, you know, t- you're constantly, all you're eating so is you're restaurant food. So you're staying up until 5 o'clock in the yeah. morning. You're never getting any sleep because the sleep. flight has to leave at 8 yeah, o'clock in the morning. exactly. And you're out uh-huh. in bars every night. And as a, as a whiskey ambassador, people think that all you want to drink is shots of bullet. Um, eating exclusively restaurant hotel food. When you can, um, probably. Yeah, um, you know. or airline food, you know, just the worst kind of foods. Exercise really goes out the window. Um, and no, everyone looks at the global ambassador role and, and sees the amazing side of it. You get to travel a lot and you get to go to these amazing bars and have these amazing experiences. But 
one thing that no one really talks about is the, the huge difficulties, the, the physical and emotional um, stress that it puts on you. And I'm sure it's yeah. hard to have relationships. Oh, really hard. Because you're away really hard. all the time. Yeah. Really, really hard. And so even if you your friendships. you haven't even met anyone before in a relationship before, and there's probably, you know, there's no way to meet someone. Yeah. And if you do have someone, you never see them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you end up just, and because the kind of you are constantly up on stage and talking and then there's alcohol involved, it's very easy to kind of have a girl in every port or, you know, you just meet someone on that night. And so there's lots of that goes on as well. But, it, you know, it, it really does take its toll because um, everything just or anything that's that's kind of healthy basically goes out the window or is always very hard to do and it's very easy to fall into to bad habits um and it took its toll on me i didn't manage I, you know, looking back i could have managed it much better um, but no one had ever told me how you know there was no training or no one ever told me the importance of sleep or good nutrition or or how to manage myself Mm-hmm. Um, so it was getting gradually worse and worse and worse. How and I was that, finding again. How did you find my, that? You just just my emotional stability was all over the place. I'd find myself getting very angry for, and I'm like super chill normally, mm-hmm. and, and find very few things that anger me. Um, but I would get angry and frustrated at like random things. You know, go to the shop and they wouldn't have the kind of bread that I wanted. So that, that would ruin my day. Um, or I'd get really angry because someone sent me in, like an email with the wrong wording in it or something. And there was more and more of that coming and less and less enjoyment of the job. Um, and then I had this massive block of travel beginning of 2016. And then there was another restructure. And my boss, who was the same boss from the Africa job, who I adore greatly, um, was basically told to leave the company mm-hmm. after 18 years was just like shuffled out the door for no reason that we could really understand and then her replacement was um was the complete opposite of her she's very much a people person and her replacement was very much a, a kind of a process person who didn't doesn't really understand the the dynamics of global and of a global ambassador mm-hmm. i can see that spider's back um <laughs> You know, and the importance of having a close team when you spend so much time on your own. You know, as a global ambassador, you are either on your own, kind of like, hey, it's 3 a.m. and I'm in a taxi traveling to an airport. Um, Or you're on a plane on your own. Or you're in a hotel room on your own. Or if you are with people, you're with people that you don't know. So you become very good at making five-minute friends. Um, or you're with people you might see once every six months. Um, so you've lost those, that kind of those bonds that you need with people, and those kind of few close friends because you're constantly away or you're with completely random people. Um, and that really started to take its toll. And then and everything was building and, and getting progressively worse. And then I went to the Athens Bar Show is uh, no still be- representing bullet yep so mm-hmm. i went to do a, a bullet presentation so that was november beginning of november 2016 um yeah and that's where it it all came tumbling down um so did my presentation so i was i had been dating a, a girl from athens um previously um but we'd broken up in the summer 
part, you know, because of the stress of my job and the travel, and I didn't really get to see her, and, and I wasn't in a good space. And so when I turned up to to Athens in November, I was really excited to see her, and she was super busy and just I had expectations which weren't met, um, which was my fault. Um, so I ended up getting extremely drunk um, and just having a massive breakdown. Um, which is the worst one I've had yet and yeah and Diageo told me that um, put me on sick leave told me not to go back to work and you take a few days off um, was it that you just didn't do your job or it was a combination of did you yell at people or did you just I, disappear I drank so much I don't have like a great recollection uh -huh. of, of exactly what happened um but I know enough that it could have been the end of my life. Um, and then the next day, um, decided to to kind of come clean and and talk about it. You know, I constantly, for, you know, for however long that I'd, I'd been suffering for, it was constantly like just put on, put on the mask, don't tell anyone, um, go out there and smile and pretend everything's great and you have the best job in the world. Um, but don't tell people how you really feel and how how difficult this has become and how much you're struggling. Um, so I decided to, to kind of come clean and tell the world. So in the way that we do in this modern era, um, through a Facebook post. So I wrote this big, long Facebook post. Um, and then work called me and said, we want you to take a few days off work. Um, you know, we're really worried about you. So just you know, kind of get home as soon as you can, rest and, and do that. Um, but the result of that Facebook post is that was the kind of the, the genesis of Healthy Hospital, I guess. Um, it was the response to that post that really set the, the kind of wheels in motion for what I do now. Um, and it wasn't the, the, the responses that you you expect from your friends and family, that you know, it's kind of messages of love and support and help and all that kind of stuff. It was the hundreds of messages I got from people. And I joked with our social media agency that this would be a great strategy for getting good engagement because I've <laughs> never had a post that's come anywhere near to be uh -huh. you know, as commented on as this one. But there's hundreds of messages from people who didn't send me messages of love and support, but they opened up about their problems and told me their stories and their struggles and asked for help. Um, and that's what really got me. And it was just like, I'm not the only one here. This is there's a bigger bigger problem here. There's a lot of people in this industry suffering, and, you, and people who I respect greatly and look up to, and was like, these people are incredible. And if they're suffering, because they seem like they've got everything sorted, uh -huh. and if they're having problems, then oh my God, who else is in this industry is Thank really goodness struggling? You were the bravest to come forward. I don't think I was the bravest. I, I definitely wasn't the first. Um, I was just one of some of those people. Maybe I was Obviously, near the front, so. Yes, and <laughs> people felt that they could open up to you. Yeah, I think you know? I, that's, So there's something, obviously, something about you. I don't you know. I've not been the bravest or the first, but. I think know, it's a, a case this of. This person is feeling this way, it's okay. To, yeah. I think it was a case of um, people desperately wanted to talk about it. Mm hmm. But they didn't know who to talk to because you know, there's even today and we've made great strides there's still such stigma around mental illness 
Um, so you can't just kind of go up to anyone and go like, oh, you know, I'm so, I suffer from depression or anxiety or I tried to commit suicide the other day. Um, whereas you can go up to people and go like, oh, I broke my leg or, you know, mm-hmm. I've got cancer. You know, there's no stigma attached to that. Especially um, if you're working for a big corporate brand, yeah. you know, they could say bye-bye. They yeah, could have exactly. said that. See you. Mm-hmm. Just like your guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think when they saw someone who openly uh, talked about their struggles, they saw it as an opportunity of like, oh, my God, there's someone I can talk to. I don't I'm not special in any way uh-huh. in, in this situation. I just think that 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 is the case. They were so desperate to and it was kind of like opening Pandora's box in a way. Yeah, um, so those those three days I was still taking sick leave became a week and then it was talked to the occupational um, health doctor at Diageo, who's an amazing lady, Dr. Fiona MacDonald, based up in Scotland. So I had a lot of conversations with her. And then a week became two weeks, which became a month, which became three months, which became six. Um, and during that time, I decided that I would not only write that Facebook post, but I would start a blog. Hmm. And I would write about my my struggles and my recovery and everything I was going through at the time. Um, and that also helped me kind of re- build the framework for my recovery. So it really got me to think about how I was going to go through this. Um, so this wasn't the first time I'd been diagnosed. So this time I was diagnosed with severe unipolar depression. Mm. Um, and I'd been diagnosed with, with depression when I was 16 as well. Um, but back when I was 16, and I didn't really know any better, um, and you have a lot of trust in your doctor, um, I was put on Prozac, you know, and teenagers should never be given such a hardcore um, antidepressant. Um, And for three years I was on Prozac and it was a a pretty horrible time. And my mom was on Prozac as well and it's it's not a great experience. And so this time around I was determined that medication wouldn't be the first resort, it would be the last resort. So I would try everything else first before we got to the point of, of medication. Um, so you know, I started, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like to do research and teach myself on anything. So I started to really look into it. Like, what can I do to sort this out? This is my problem. This is my illness. I need to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to kind of come up with a strategy that can help me deal with this. Um, and the, the blog kind of helped me um, write about that and kind of frame it in my mind. Um, so it was a combination. Were your doctors open to that? I, the, yeah, so the, the, the Azure doctor was, was very open to it. Um, it's funny, my first therapy session, so I, CBT was part of my recovery. I turned up to my first CBT session and I told my therapist, like, this is how I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. she was like, brilliant. That's, that's, okay, let's talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a combination of um, focusing on on so meditation became a part of my daily routine, exercise. So I really kind of had a lot of time. I was on sick leave, you know, getting full pay without having to go to work. So I had a lot of time to focus on on exercise. Nutrition became. I'd always been interested in nutrition, but it became super focused on that. Um, All those years when you were traveling, did you keep to being a vegetarian or a vegan? Yes, or were yes. you slipping? Yeah. So you were always yeah, always doing that. So that it was wasn't what, like you were eating a, so much beef or no, meat. No, no. or You were always there so, was, so... There was one 
one even though meal. Even habits might not have been so great, you still were. Yeah, you know, yeah. you were eating healthy. But you in can, a way. well, you can you can still eat vegan and be really unhealthy. You can survive on a, on a diet of Oreos yeah. and, and crisps. Yeah. So. Um, Some was surprised yeah. Oreos are vegan, but okay. It's just just sugar, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. There has to be something in it. That, it's just sugar like, formed that. into the shape, that. shape of a biscuit. Um, uh, and of course, most of alcohol is vegan too. Yep. 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 Although I did get an email once from a guy in Germany asking about this. He found out I was vegan, so they sent me this email, and I found out that a lot of like the labels. Um, they're glued onto bottles and mm. use they use um, uh, animal based glues yeah. and yeah a lot of other things uh-huh. we got super nerdy at one point even like the inks they use on the bottles um, yeah Who knew? yeah so it kind of decided came up with like a 10 point strategy um, for for healing myself and if that didn't work then we'd look at medication mm-hmm. Um, and that's become a kind of core part of, of what I talk about as well. Um, and kind of got myself into a really good place. You know, was not traveling, was staying, staying like all built, you know, spending a lot of time with friends and family, cut back right back on my drinking, eating really healthy, doing lots of exercise, meditating every day. Um, and then started to kind of have these conversations about going back to work with Diageo, but it, after a, kind of like three months, it became clear that it wasn't going to happen. Um, they weren't willing to make the the changes necessary mm-hmm. to my role to get me back into that role. And there was no real offering of other roles that, that were suitable or interested in. Um, so it kind of became clear that, that, that I had to leave. And also at the time, there were you know, my mind started to go towards his you know, can I do something more around the health and wellness? Because after that, the post that I'd done and kind of come clean about my illness, um, a lot of people saw me as this kind of person in the industry that was talking about it. Um, And so, you know, and it became much clearer and clearer. And I was forming this idea in my mind about what I wanted to do. So I left Diageo in August last year. and said, right, let's let's give this a go. Rather than stepping straight into another job, mm-hmm. you know, I've got an opportunity here. You know, I got a, a bit of money from leaving Diageo, so I've got some a buffer that I can take a risk and I can go and try and do something around improving the health and wellness of the hospitality industry. Um, so one thing I'm, I'm okay at is is kind of I can build a website. I'm fairly computer savvy, so you know, in an afternoon, I had bought the domain names and signed up all the the social media handles and, and downloaded WordPress and got everything I needed to build a very kind of like basic um, website. So put up a, a little blog, had a logo designed as well. So put up a little uh, kind of a very basic blog with a few posts about you know an introduction to healthy hospital. Uh, my ten, my ten things that I did to to beat depression, talk about exercise and and a bunch of other stuff, and then I also have like a help page. So if other people are struggling, here are some organisations that can help you for different countries around the world, um, and that was quite well received. And then it was plants so that we launched that in twenty uh, third of October, 
and that was just a very basic blog and there was always a plan to kind of build a much bigger website so i was designing that um, at the time so then in december we launched the the site kind of as it is now um, it was a little bit different um, and then in January, we we launched officially with Healthy Hospo. So 15th of January, we had our big launch event um, in London. So we had about 100 people turn up, which was incredible, for a six-hour-long workshop um, around health and wellness and hospitality. Um, we looked at medica- uh, sorry, meditation, sleep, nutrition, um, exercise. We had an osteopath talking about how to avoid back pain. And we talked about better drinking. So rather than drinking less, it's how can you create healthy drinks? How can you, you know, increase the complexity of sugars that you have in your drinks? How can you reduce the amount of sugar using tricks like cinnamon or licorice? Um, healthier sugars, how, you know, raising the nu- nutrition content of drinks. Because one thing that's said with healthy hospitals, we'll never tell people how to drink or how much to drink. We'll focus on all the other stuff mm-hmm. that no one else is really talking about. And we won't be that, that finger-wagging mm-hmm. person going, oh, alcohol is the cause of all problems. It's like, let's talk about the terrible sleep habits of the industry. Let's talk about the, the bad nutrition, the lack of exercise, the, all the other stuff mm-hmm. that goes on. Um, and that was really well received. You know, everyone that came really loved it. Um, and it seemed to be something that people really wanted. I mean, it's just grown from there. And was that your idea that, that day? Was did you feel that this is exactly what I wanted to do? Yeah. This is what I wanted to achieve yeah. by Healthy Hospital. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, at the end of it, I had a little. There were some tears at the end. It was such an. It was. I'm sure. Such a humbling and such an amazing day to have so many people in the room, such energy, and so many kind words at the end of it. Um, and after being alone for yeah. so long. Yeah, it was a kind. Of, it sounds a bit cheesy. It was like I found my thing, my uh-huh. calling. Um, and this is what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to, to improving the health and wellness of, of the industry and trying to make sure that people don't have to reach the point that I reached and go through what I went through. You know, there is a better path. And this is an amazing industry. And it doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to reach the point of having a massive breakdown to no, realize I, that you need to change. Just in my limited experience of the industry, I have found... I, I've never found an industry that has been so supportive. Yeah. Um, all of you are such a tight group. Oh, definitely. And, I, and really want the best for each other. I do find that, you know, of course there's odd ones here and there, but I just feel as a generalization, I love this yeah. industry. I really feel it takes care of itself. And, you know, to have someone like you go into bars or, you know, work with the hires up, you like mm-hmm. work with the man who owned Sweet. Yeah. To say, no, this is not yeah. how you deal with it. This is how you should have dealt with it. This is how, you know, every boss should hire you to, yeah. to learn how to deal with this. Oh, I, I wish they would. <laughs> I mean, I think part of the problem, uh, the, the, one of the big problems is that it, it's an industry dominated by small business. You know, in the UK, 70% of bars and restaurants employ 10 people or less. So they don't have the, the HR team. They don't have the, the kind of bandwidth to be able to, to spend time designing health and wellness programs. They're just, they're so in the trenches, just trying to survive day to day business and grow yeah. their business that it's not part of their radar. So one thing I hope is that we can provide a service for them mm-hmm. to kind of help their, their teams, because if they're the ones most at risk, you know, if you look at health and wellness, if 
you have 10 people working in your team and one person take takes a day off sick you've lost 10 percent of your workforce right. which is you know if a big corporation like diageo lost 10 percent of their workforce that's thousands of people mm. but if you're a small business that it's a huge impact so anything you can do to reduce the numbers of sick days taken, improve productivity, right. improve customer feedback, which health and wellness programs are all proven to do. Um, it's got to be a win-win situation. Absolutely. Plus, you've also got this this problem at the moment of recruiting good staff. Like everyone I know who's a manager or a, an owner operator, their biggest problem is staff. You know, finding good loyal staff. So if you find those people, you want to kind of do everything you can to keep them. And health and wellness programs are probably the, the strongest, most proven strategy for, for keeping a good team. Yeah, I mean, if you hire someone, you t- spend the time to teach them, and uh, you don't want them to go away. You want yeah, them to exactly, stay. Exactly. And, so, so you, and they do become part of a family. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you it know? needs to be. Yeah, mm. and you need to... So so this is, this is what you're doing now? This is it, this yeah. Is it. So it's um, Healthy Hospital for Life. Yeah. I think that's great. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, go have a cup of tea. Sure. (laughs) Nice, healthy green tea. Um, Yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey, and we're just getting started. So, from the the wellness workshop that we did, um, off the back of that, we are starting to to work with brands, work with individuals, work with outlets, um, taking it all over the world. It's a global project. It's not just based in the UK. Um, We started here in London because that's just where I was based. Um, but we did a workshop in Edinburgh at Tales of the Cocktail on Tour. Uh, last week I was in Amsterdam. We did a full workshop there, similar to the one in London. Um, we've got workshops coming up in Puerto Rico and Dubai. I'm speaking at most of the major bar shows this year about health and wellness. Yeah, you're going to be at Covent, the convent. You're going to be at the Com BCB Brooklyn, mm-hmm. BCB Brooklyn. Berlin, um, Tales of the Cocktail, Moscow Bar Show, Imbibe Live, um, Barometer in Kiev. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, you tapped into something. I think I hope you so. Definitely did. Hope, it, seem, it seems. I'm like sorry it, you had so. to go through what you did to. I'm not out. though. I'm not because if I hadn't have gone through that, then we wouldn't be sitting here now having this chat, and I wouldn't have come to this this realization. No, it's, it's part of my journey. So it's, many people. Yeah, thank you. It's just getting started. There's so many people to help, um, and there's so much to do. It's looking at the, all the research that I've done into the health of the industry, um, and there's not a great amount of very specific research into the hospitality industry. But um, the Department of Labor Statistics in the U.S. have done a lot of, of really good work. Um, there's not a positive stat about the industry at all really You've got, know, someone uh, told me i think it was you actually, possibly who said what to be bartender is like the ninth 19th most dangerous thing 13th 13th it's the 13th most dangerous job in the world if yeah. you on they use a number of measures to measure that uh-huh. um, but the big one is um, workplace mortality um, what really is what's really scary about that is that the job that comes 16th on that list um, is being a police officer and we all know yeah. attitudes towards guns um, in the US. You know, you're, they're dealing with with criminal, armed criminals, oh. and yet being a bartender is more dangerous. And you've got the highest rates of drug abuse of any industry in the world, the third highest rates of alcohol abuse, um, mortality from alcohol-related disease is more than double average. Um, you, 
you've got 60% 60 to 70% of chefs saying that they're suffering from um, work-placed mental illness. You know, a third of chefs saying they have to drink just to get through a shift. Um, it's, this, the stats are just frightening, mm -hmm. absolutely frightening. And it, but it doesn't need to be this way. You know, are you we, doing something about it? I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm just one. I'm just one person um, within a, a global community. There's a lot of people talking about this now. Um, you know, people like Jack McGarry, Giuseppe Gonzalez, Claire Warner Smith. She's been doing this for much longer than I have. Camille Vidal. Um, there are more and more people who are starting to to kind of take it seriously, um, and hopefully, Healthy Hospital could be part of that that story. Um, it is already. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. There's a lot of work to do. Um, we've just uh, commissioned the first ever global survey into how the industry sleeps. Um, so, if anyone is listening to this, please um, go onto the website and take that survey. Um, because we're trying to find out how the industry sleeps. Because sleep is the, the kind of foundation of good health. If you don't get good sleep, then everything else is not particularly effective. Mm -hmm. you know? And particularly when it comes to mental, mental health, sleep is, is vital. Um, but obviously our industry has a terrible relationship with sleep. So we're trying to find out exactly how the industry sleeps. And then once we've got the the results of that survey we can then build like a really strong program to help improve the sleep of the industry because um, like the world health organization have classed any sort of nighttime shift work as a class 2a carcinogen which is on the same level as lead paint uh -huh. and we all know how, no one yeah, would yeah. paint their houses with lead paint we all know that's bad yet and this industry is 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 equally as bad for that and then if you look at the effects on sleep on on cardiovascular disease, um, on diabetes, has an enormous impact on mental health, and you combine that with the, you know, the general terrible nutrition, the lack of exercise, the the excessive drug and alcohol consumption, mm -hmm. um, the social media addiction, which is a very modern thing, um, it piles up on top. You know, there's not one thing, there's not there's no one magic answer, right. but um, we need to kind of start addressing a lot of these different issues. And it's not about changing the industry and making sure every bar is shut at 10 p.m. so people can go home and get a, you know, and sleep like normal people. It's about looking at the unique aspects of the industry and seeing how we can apply um, health and wellness initiatives and programs to that. And also just teach people how to look after themselves a little bit better you know eat a little bit better do some regular exercise you know instead of taking the uber to work walk to work mm -hmm. you know instead of riding the escalator take the steps you know instead of having that pizza have something green and you have something a little bit healthier you know instead of having shots of whiskey have a shot of vermouth or sherry mm -hmm. you know and it's about little small improvements you know making sleep a priority so when you do get to sleep make sure you're getting the best quality sleep possible Mm. So yeah, there's lots, there's lots and lots and lots to do. So this is a, a lifelong journey. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just absolutely loving it. I've never been happier, um, and I've never felt more purpose, um, and I've never felt more out of my depth. And I have no idea how this is going to go or really what I'm doing. I just know that I have to do this, um, and I know that people will join me along the way, and, and um, we'll work it out. Cool. No, thank you. Thank you.
It was amazing to hear all of Tim's story, and I thank him so much for always being ready to share it. If you wish to take the sleep survey or have any questions about anything Tim spoke of, please visit HealthyHospo.com. So now, it's time for another Healthy Cocktail of the Week. For this week's Cocktail of the Week, we have an alcohol-free one containing Seedlip Garden 108, created by Charles Roche and Eleanor Holcraft of Liquid Intellect. It's called the Pea and Pine Nut, and it's actually pretty hard to make, but you have to try. You'll need 30 ml of olive oil washed Seedlip Garden 108, 10 ml of green pea and pine nut syrup, 5 ml of agave nectar, 15 drops of malic acid solution, 3 drops of citric acid solution, and 20 ml of aquafaba, which is that viscous water in which legume seeds such as chickpeas have been cooked. So, the method. To make the green pea and pine nut syrup, you blend 120 grams of the roasted pine nuts, and 50 grams of green peas and one liter of water together. Then put everything through a centrifuge to remove any of the solids. Then make it into a two to one sugar syrup. If you don't have access to a centrifuge, then use a simple super bag. It should work fine. Shake it dry. Then add ice and shake it wet to achieve the perfect aeration and then double strain into a Nick and Nora glass. It's then simply finished with a few droplets of olive oil on top. I told you it was hard, but it's well worth it. And you'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Next week is our last week in Nuremberg where we'll meet the man who revived red beer and has made the city the whiskey capital of Germany. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs>